This is the greatest hour to follow Jesus. I want you to think about this in context of the, the day we're celebrating. Arise, O Lord, and let your enemies be scattered. Say amen. Let them flee before you. I'll read that again. Sounds like you're half alive. Arise, O Lord, and let your enemies be scattered. Let them flee before you. going to read to you uh, some sayings and prayers from the early church. I feel the sense of the Lord already. Listen to this. Today, Hades cries out, groaning, I should not have accepted the man born of Mary. He came and destroyed my power. He shattered the gates of brass as God, he has raised the souls that I held captive. Glory to thy cross and resurrection, O Lord. Well, that's something. In our world, in, in America, we, we've, we've uh, compartmentalized so much of the beauty of the gospel, and uh, at times we've separated what, it's meant to be one continual flow. So we make Good Friday the day where we celebrate the crucifixion, the death of the Lord. Um, kind of skip Saturday because we don't know what to do with it. <laughs> and then we, we go from Good Friday, skip Saturday, straight to Resurrection Sunday. And we lose so much majesty regarding the truth of what Jesus has done and accomplished. Today I want to connect those dots. I want to, uh, through the scriptures, uh, give you vision by the Spirit for what Jesus did when he breathed his last and what took place between that moment when he said it is finished and the moment that the ground vomited up the one it could not hold. I, I also would like to remind you of the scripture that says it was not possible that the grave hold him. And I want to talk about why that's the case. And why it's the case that the grave will not hold us. It's time we lose the fear of death. We have to lose the fear of death because in the wake of losing the fear of death, we lose every other fear. And when we're afraid, we do dumb stuff. I want to talk to you about that moment where the Lord lay in the tomb. That's what the uh, scriptures actually call the, the Holy Sabbath. Jesus is our Sabbath. And here Jesus exemplifies 
true Sabbath as the creator of all lays and rests from his works in a narrow tomb. Hopefully you're connecting the dots. The scripture teaches that on that day, after the Lord creates man, he rests from his works. And Moses points us to that. He talks about the Sabbath in the book of Genesis as being holy, and then the scriptures called Jesus our Sabbath, that he himself is our Sabbath rest. And the reason he is our Sabbath rest is multi-pronged, but one of those reasons is because he manifested what it looked like to rest from his victorious works by laying lifeless in the tomb. In a narrow tomb. In a tomb made by men. Sort of. He formed the earth. So that Saturday night is the day of rest uh, of which the only begotten son rests from all his works. Okay, listen carefully now. Jesus did not so much uh, replace our sorrow with joy. Listen carefully now. He transformed sorrow to joy by taking our death, burial, and ultimately our resurrection. It was transformed. The tomb has now been redefined for the, for the believer. So we laugh at it. I said we laugh at the grave. Prior to this, the ground held the saints captive. The tombs held the saints captive. They were taken captive by something God did not create, and that is called death. It was never his intention. Are you with me? Remember, I only have one ear. I have to wear this stupid thing. It does have a picture of me hitting a golf ball, which makes it a little more holy. (laughs) Are you with me? Okay. Jesus wept at the widow of Nain's son's casket and at Lazarus' tomb for more than uh, mere compassion. Of course, he connected with that mother prior to raising his, her son from the dead. And of course, the scripture says he wept because he loved Lazarus. But to go deeper, he wept because his people were experiencing something that was not his original intention for creation. Death. Unnatural. Disconnected from the body. A body that decays. It was not his original intention. So here we see the Lord weeping for more than mere compassion. It was unnatural for those he created to decay and disconnect from their bodies. 
This morning I want to talk to you about that holy moment when the Lord breathed his last. Take your Bibles to 1 Peter. And uh, Luke, that's two books from 3 Peter. You turn to 3 Peter, we'll turn to 1 Peter. There's no, I, please don't email us. I know there's no third Peter. Okay. I, 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 I figured that one out. Okay, listen very carefully. First Peter 3, 18 and 19. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, say thank you, Lord, that he might bring us to God, now he tells us how, being put to death in the flesh. People say, how can you serve a God that died? You missed the point. You missed the point. He died as we die. His body went into the ground. He died as a fully human person who is fully God. But he was made alive by the Spirit. That's what we celebrate this morning, the resurrection. The Holy Spirit raised Jesus from the dead by the will of the Father. Listen carefully now, verse 19. By whom also he went and preached to the spirits in prison who formerly were disobedient when once the divine long-suffering waited in the days of Noah. So here he's pointing to the days of Noah. That's a different teaching. I just don't want to go there. Come to Jesus school if you want that one. While the ark was being prepared in which a few, that is, eight souls were saved through water. I don't want to focus on that. What I want to focus on is the, is the descent of the Lord Jesus and his plundering of the grave and Hades. That should excite you. If it doesn't now, it will when you breathe your last. That's all you'll be thinking about if you know you've got about five minutes to go. You won't be wishing you did more events. Listen carefully. You won't be wishing you had a bigger following. You won't be wishing you had more subscribers or, or, or more fame. You, you will be hoping for one thing. Am I found in him? Am I found in the one who has destroyed death? That's all that's going to matter. So let's start now. Let's start thinking that way now. Let's lose our craving for everything the world offers. Church planters, business people, songwriters, worship leaders, lose your craving for all that man and the world offers. It will not matter. It will dissipate in holy fire, period. It won't matter. It will carry no weight in that moment where your spirit begins to leave your body. This is called death. Death is not ceasing to exist any more than eternal life means just to exist forever. Death, the Greek word, means to separate from. And Jesus defines life. It's to know the one true God and Jesus Christ whom you've sent. That is life. The disconnection is death without the experience of Jesus. Period. This faces all of us. You can't run from it. If you're hoping to be like Enoch and Elijah, I would have a much more secure insurance policy on that one. And you better up your game. 
<laughs> so let me just paint out the brief storyline. Jesus comes as perfect God and perfect man, fulfills the law perfectly, takes our punishment because the law is perfect. It will not adjust. It will not move. It has nothing to do with our preference. The word of God is set in stone and there is a doctrine called retribution that is spelled out in the book of Deuteronomy and God says basically, if you do this, I will do this. If you do this, you will run when nobody is chasing you. If you do this, you'll be stricken with the sickness. If you do that, you will not have. You will live in lack. God begins to tell Israel what life looks like without him. Ultimately, the Lord issues forth a decree. Listen carefully. When he creates Adam and Eve, he says this about, about eating from the proper tree. And I, may I also add this? Uh, there are too many Christians eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It has nothing to do with the gospel, nothing to do with Jesus. It is, it is, it is evil because any desire to attain knowledge outside of the crucified and risen Lord is not Christian. You say, Michael, that's too simple. That's too focused. Are you telling me that everything I need is locked up in a man named Jesus? That's exactly what I'm telling you this morning. And I'm going to tell you that until the day I go home. There's nothing worth finding, nothing worth seeking, nothing worth pursuing outside of this one in whom the fullness, the Bible says, of the deity exists. Anything outside of him is fallen. Anything outside of him is temporal. Anything outside of him will burn and be no more. And so Jesus comes, fulfills the law, and out of love assumes our guilt. And we are guilty. <laughs> We are guilty. And in case you believe that Jesus came to destroy the law and create his own new law that is disconnected from Holy Scripture, Jesus just ups the ante by saying, yeah, you think you're only guilty if you commit adultery in your, in, by touching a woman. But if you so think it in your heart, you're guilty. So he expresses even more so our dire need for his saving power. That penalty, according to the scripture, when God, listen carefully now, when God creates Adam and Eve, he says this, for in the day you eat of this fruit, for in that moment you will die. Not you will have a bad day. Not you will be discouraged. Not you will need a little pick-me-up. No, no, no. If we're in the day you eat, in the day you eat of it, you die. But here's the problem. Adam lives in his body, so to speak, in a way, for 900 years. His body didn't die first. His heart did. I'm going somewhere here. That internal death would ultimately lead to physical death. And now we have an issue, corruption.
So Jesus comes not as another Adam. I want to be clear here. I heard the preacher say a while back, Jesus and Adam are just the same. I'm like, bro, what are you? Well, I actually on it, but I was just like, whoa, what, what are you talking about? Jesus breathed into Adam. Read the Bible. What do you mean they're the same? How can they be the same if Jesus formed them out of mud? Huh? So Jesus doesn't come as another Adam, or yeah, they, the scripture does call him the second. But ultimately, listen carefully, he's the last Adam. <laughs> because he's first and last. Jesus didn't come as a painting and image of Adam. Adam was created to reveal who Jesus really is. We need to get our ducks in a row. So this last Adam assumes our guilt, lives a perfect life, fulfills the law perfectly on all counts, and because of his loves, even though he fulfills it, says, I'll take your guilt, assumes it in his flesh, this manifests by his punishment. And so he is beaten because he is assuming our guilt and he is nailed to the tree, not just to fulfill a debt. No, he's not a lawyer alone. He is an advocate, but he's not a lawyer as we know it. He's a bridegroom. He is the only bridegroom who comes to die for his harlot wife. Oh, yeah, someone got it. That's the gospel. He comes to die for the prostitute. He comes to die for the one who cheats on him. That's what the Bible says in Jeremiah. God divorces Israel because she is playing the harlot with other gods. And she forgot her marriage that took place on Sinai. When the Lord calls Moses and the elders up, he releases the, the scriptures, the law. That's just a marital covenant. So if there are any people in here who think grace mocks the Old Testament, you need a new vision of Jesus. Your vision is not Christian. That law was the marital contract. And in every marriage, you need vows, terms, blood, so Moses anoints the entire nation with blood. Three million people with hyssop. That speaks of faith. Today, by faith, many of you who are dirty are going to receive the hyssop of God. The hyssop cleansing power. What did David say? Thou hast cleansed me with hyssop. Cover us in your blood, Jesus. By faith we receive the blood. And Moses does that throughout the entire nation. And when Moses covers them in blood, God starts to get close. He calls Moses and the elders up the mountain and they eat with God and see him. That's your Bible. Every marriage has a meal. Every covenant has a meal. That's why we eat after weddings. You're like, oh, no way. That's why we do that. That's exactly why we do that. And he marries them. And he says, I'm going to carry you away on eagle's wings. 
I'm the one. I'm, that's why he said, I am the Lord who delivered you from Egypt. He's just reintroducing himself to the bride that he loves over and over and over again. And they start to leave him in a moment and he calls them home. Every time, read your Bible, over and over again, he's saying, come back, come back to me. He wants to be loved so badly that he makes the first and great commandment the first and great commandment. Love me with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. This is a bridegroom talk, don't you see? Yes. So ultimately, the nature of this bridegroom is flushed out through the slaying of a lamb throughout the Old Testament. And hundreds of years go by, the promise is about to be fulfilled, and Jesus is best man in the wedding comes wearing camel hair and he eats honey and locusts. This is the story. Oh, this is the story. Isn't it a great story? Is there any other story worth telling or singing? <laughs> and his best man shows up. He's not wearing a tux, unfortunately. He's a little disconnected from culture and disconnected from what seems right. It's the type of best man Jesus chooses. And he's standing in the waters, you see? Because you don't get to stand in the wedding unless you've been washed. No. Unless the word washes you and you're a child of the river. No, you're not invited to this feast. And he knew I'm going to toss the notes today. Is that okay? Yes. He knew the presence of the bridegroom. He knew the presence all too well because when he was just a little baby in Elizabeth's womb, the Virgin Mary came walking in, Elizabeth's cousin, and her womb wasn't empty. The humble God had come to live in the womb of a 14-year-old virgin. Isn't this amazing? What humility? We call this the humiliation or the condescension, the downward motion of the eternal God. That at some point in history, Jesus, through the yielded heart, stepped into the holiness and the will of the Father. He said, I will fulfill your will. Sacrifice an offering thou hast not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. Wow. And he says, it is written of me in the scroll. He knew what the scripture said about him and awaited that moment. Who knows, maybe for billions and billions of years. The scripture says he's crucified before the foundations of the world in the heart of God. And that moment would come in history where he, as the worthy son, could step down in to the Father's will with a real body. This is that downward motion that speaks of humility. Track with me. This is the God of the heavens Because remember, in the beginning was the word. This is the proper progression. John is saying there in his gospel, look, look, let me get something real clear with you. He is not just a man. I'm going to use the term in the beginning so that I can tell you he is the God of Genesis. And Jesus steps down 
And the Holy Spirit, according to the angel, Archangel Gabriel, overshadows Mary, just like he did in Genesis 1, as he overshadowed the depths. And God spoke, and now he overshadows Mary. Listen carefully. And the living, breathing, speaking of God arrives in the womb of a pure little virgin. For in the beginning, a woman came into agreement with the serpent. But not with this little Jewish virgin. God is so wise. That's why the Bible says, had they known, they would have never crucified the Lord of glory. They didn't know what they were getting into with such lowly wisdom. But this little virgin didn't say, eat the fruit. Her answer was different. According to thy will, let it be done unto me. It's the opposite of Eve's heart and cry. And God takes that womb and inhabits her without killing her. (laughs) We serve a loving God who knows our frame, the Bible says. Hmm? And Jesus comes and is in the womb of Mary and John's in the womb of his mother, Elizabeth. And the moment that little baby comes in in Mary's womb, John starts jumping around. Right? Is that what your Bible says? And Elizabeth says, the moment you walked in at the sound of your voice, my baby leapt within me. If you want hearts to leap by the Spirit, just bring Jesus with you. That's why your heart's leaping right now. Mine is. I don't know if I'm all alone, but I'm really happy right now. Anybody else happy this morning? And so John knew that presence. He knew that presence before he ever came out of his mother. And then God calls John in the spirit and power of Elijah and he starts washing people. That's why right now, so I'm so grateful for what Lindy's been writing and leading. That's why right now God is calling the church to purity, to the washing of repentance. Don't you see the agenda of the ages playing out? Can you not, let's not be children of the dark but be children of the light. That's what Jesus called us, children of the day. May our eyes open to see how this moment fits into the agenda of God for the ages and the ages to come. God is washing his people because he's coming back. That's why. And a wedding is coming. A wedding is coming. So now John's washing his people. He's led, the scripture says, he walks before the face of God. And he says something wild. Amazingly wild. He looks at Israel and says, uh, maybe it was something like this. Probably a much bigger crowd. It had to be. There was no AC or blue pews. Just a river flowing in the midst of the wilderness 
Sounds a lot like today. And John looks out over that crowd and he says, oh, this one gets me. There's one standing among you. I baptize you with water unto repentance, but there's, there's somebody out there. Whose sandals I'm not even worthy to unloose. He will baptize you in the Holy Spirit and fire. What John was saying is, I can't see him yet. But I know this touch. I've known it since I was in my mother's womb. The one who made me leap standing among you. He was more aware of Jesus than the people he was called to serve. Pastors, that's the only way to survive. Are you listening? How many of you are visiting pastors this morning? Youth leaders, pastors, ministers, missionaries. Raise your hand if you're giving your life to that fivefold work. The only way to survive this thing is to love Jesus more than the people. And in doing so, you will love people well. So John, as the best man, he's standing in there and he says, oh, I know that present. I knew it as an embryo and I've known it my whole life. That's how I survived this desert. If I'm faithful with his touch, Soon I'll see him. Did you hear that? No, half of you did. If I'm faithful with the sense of his touch, soon my eyes will open. <laughs> and then in John chapter 1, the one he'd been sensing comes walking up to him. Hold on to the river. Mm. You can't find Jesus away from the river. Loving the Holy Spirit's not an option. If you don't know the Holy Spirit, Jesus will be a topic. You'll agree with his stat sheet, but you'll never touch his heart. You can't just love his stat sheet and meet the bridegroom. And so now the one who's been cheated on by his own people chose, who chose idols over and over and over and over again, finally a divorce is issued and here comes the redeeming bridegroom skipping on the hills ready to bleed and die for his prostitute bride. That's the love of God, Kaylee. John there, standing in the water, sees the one he loved coming toward the water. After all, the word Moses means him who is drawn from the water. He sees saviors always come out of the water, dripping. If you're dripping, you don't need to worry about your sermon. 
If you just drip, you, you won't have to debate. If you just drip, you wouldn't have to argue or post. You'd just drip. And John says this. There he is. Behold. Not, not glance at. Not visit occasionally in my mind. Behold, stare at like an addicted, lowly, loving bride who does everything with the bridegroom in heart. Behold, stare at him until you have been illuminated by him. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now this bridegroom comes to die because he's the Lamb. In this wedding story, the groom dies. And John stands by his side. And once John introduces him, he comes off the scene. For every lovely heart does the same. I'll never forget being in Kona ministering. Andy paid me one of the greatest compliments, I think, of my ministry. I don't even think he knows he did it. Andy Bird said, Every time Michael preached, when he left, we didn't even know he left the tent. They, they meet in the tent. I was already in my room. They were there worshiping still. That's the heart of ministry. When Jesus comes, any faithful servant goes, hold on. That's the language of he must increase. I must decrease. This is bridal language. This is wedding language. Now Jesus is front and center. And as the faithful best man, John departs into the darkness of a dungeon. And now the bridegroom is on the scene to win the bride back by dying as a lamb. That's the only method by which it works. Listen carefully now. This is that downward motion from heaven to earth. Jesus is born. He runs for his life. Mary and Joseph take him to Egypt. That speaks of him coming to rid the world of its power over us. He lives a perfect life, a holy life, reveals the Father perfectly, by the way. There is no message of the love of the Father or God being a good Father unless you know the gospel. It makes no sense. All it does is basically erect the theology that God is into everything we put our hand to. No. God is into us dying. That's what God is into. That's what the psalmist writes. Thou takest away their breath and then thou createst them. Do you want God's will to happen in your life? Die to your preference. Die to what you want. Die to what you want to do. Die to your assignment. Die to what you think you're called to do. Die to where you want to live, how you want to live, and who you want to live with. Die to it all. Preference is not the point. Death is. The cross is the point. And so the psalmist gets it right, of course, because the Bible wins. I said, the Bible wins. The psalmist says, thou takest away their breath. They die, and then you create them. 
If you want resurrection life, you got to die. That's the pattern. Thou takest away their breath, they die, and then they are created. And so Jesus comes, lays his lifetime, dies on the tree, takes our penalty, and he says something very powerful. It is finished that goes beyond accomplishment. Oh, I don't know if I should say it. It goes beyond accomplishment and shows us what it's like to be truly alive. Finally, it's finished. This is what it looks like to be fully human. Suspended and pulled apart like Adam was pulled apart so that Eve could be born or created, I should say, from his side because he's been pulled open. Now Jesus is pulled open through the laying down of his own life. He births his bride from his side because that is the doorway to his heart. And he says, it's finished. Don't you remember what Pilate said? Behold the man. Listen to the language. And John wrote that. He said, behold the man. What is John pointing back to? Creation. When God formed man. John is saying here, this is what it looks like to be fully alive. Decked with a crown of thorns, skinned alive, and bleeding. John is saying, this is what it looks like to be human. This is perfection. And therefore, we are only alive when we die unto the Lord and die for one another, for no greater love can a man have than to lay his life down for another. The only way to be fully alive and fully happy is to say, no, Michael, yes to you. And that flows from a yes to Jesus. And he breathes his last. And according to 1 Peter 3, he takes a trap door through the tomb. Are you okay? Yes. If this bores you, man, I'm not sure you're going to like heaven. <laughs> no, really, because this is all we're going to talk about. We're all going to look and go, how is there a man on the throne? And today there's a man on the throne. No, no, not just some thought, not some phantom. Are you hearing me? Yes. Are you hearing me, songwriters? Yes. Write about this. Yes. There's a man on a throne. I'm going to say it until you get it. There's a man with a real body that's more powerful than lightning. That's why Mary could not cling to him. For if the ark would kill Uzzah, certainly the resurrected Christ would fry Mary. There's a man up there with voltage and wounds. <laughs> no one like him. No one like him. I said there's no one like him. He takes that trap door through the grave and he's like, ah, I know what I'm going to do with this. I'm not going to remove the grave. I'm going to transform it. And prior to this moment of me saying it's finished and me breathing my last, prior to this, that was a tomb. 
when I'm done with that grave, it's going to be a womb. I'm going to take it and transform it, not replace it by not experiencing it. So that's what we want to do. We just want a quick swip swap. Jesus didn't do that. He said, I will assume it. I will lay in it. I will take on humanity. I will breathe. I will die. I will suffer. I will lay in it as the eternal Sabbath. But when I'm done with it, I'm going to rewrite its capabilities. So that for those who are actually in me, this tomb will be a womb that births them into the eternal kingdom. Wow. So Jesus takes that trap door of humility that the devil rejected. He said, I will ascend. Jesus said, I will descend. It's Ephesians 4. He who descended to the lowest, 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 lowest parts of the earth. I'm taking extra time because it's the Lord's day today. Uh, if you want to go... I'm still going to preach. I'm, I'm loving this. I'm not going to... No, no, no. No, we're not doing that thing. You need, you need the fasting anyways. I am blessing you with intermittent fasting right now. <laughs> You're welcome. So through humility, not as the one who says, I will ascend, I will take the hill of the north, I will be like the most high. Jesus says, Father, I want to be like them. I will take the grave. I will take the lowest parts of the earth. I will go down. And when he does, Psalm 24 takes place. And this is what Psalm 24 says. Open up, ye everlasting door. <laughs> and let the king of glory come in. Oh, I want to slap someone. Maybe a visitor. Maybe a visitor. That's how we greet you here. Open up, ye everlasting doors. Be lifted up, ye ancient gates. There's a reason you need to be lifted up. The king of glory is coming in. Jesus climbed down into the underworld, the abode of the dead, looking for his friend, Adam. And Adam's entire race of whom we belonged to at one time. Pray, Jesus. We called ourselves children of the Lord. Not, not, not really. We're children of Adam. I'll stop there. And Jesus comes on down through meekness. So low, the devil had no clue what was going on. He was so confused because of his pride. And one moment, come down off the cross. And another moment, kill him. Bring him down. Kill him. What do I do with him? No, don't go to the cross. He rebukes Peter and says, get thou behind me, Satan. Your thoughts are not the thoughts of God, but the thoughts of men. It's not that the devil had two opinions. It's that he had two opinions because of his pride. The lowly, humble nature of the Christ confused him because Jesus is on his way down. Satan's always on his way up. And Jesus gets on down there and the gates start trembling. See, they're everlasting doors and ancient gates. Jesus told the thief on the cross, today you'll be with me in paradise. 
I'm coming. I'll see you there. But when I get there, I've got something to do. While my body is resting in Sabbath, I am coming down there to do work. And that word preached is not to get them saved. That word preached in the Greek means announcement and declaration. In other words, you should not have received the son of the virgin for he has come to destroy you with his resplendent majesty. And the devil was flogged and embarrassed just like Pharaoh was flogged and embarrassed through the plagues God sent to Egypt. Oh, my heart's burning. I could take your cello and throw it like a javelin into that wall. You'd love to see that, wouldn't you? <laughs> I know maybe you're used to churches where you can just slide on in and slide on out. This will never be that. If the Holy Ghost is moving, we're here. We're addicted ones. We're dead ones. And the only reason you should trust us is because you don't lead us. You're like, what is this guy doing? Trying to shrink the church? Maybe. It does sound like the nature of God to prune it. Oh, I'm happy. Jesse's sweating, but I'm happy. Uh, you don't hear that in many church growth seminars. Keep them until God's done. I want to die daily so that I can carry my cross daily because that's a promise into resurrection. Daily. I want to die daily. Hmm. And those gates start tremoring. Open up, ancient gates. Be lifted up, ye everlasting doors. There's a reason the king of glory is coming. It's right there in your Bible in Psalm 24. And in case you're confused, the psalmist defines him. Who is this king of glory? <laughs> Who is he that's making the underworld tremble? Why is the grave nauseous? Don't you remember Jonah was vomited up by the whale? <laughs> You want a sign, huh? You want feathers to fly out of my forehead and gold dust to shoot out of my nostrils. I have a better sign for you. It's called the resurrection of Jesus. That's what Jesus said. That's what he said. Your generation seeks a sign. No, you're evil because you seek a sign. You can't see God standing in front of you. I've got a sign for you, the sign of Jonah. That's what I'm talking about. And like a nervous, nauseous stomach, like you're leading the masters on Amen Corner <laughs> by one. The underworld started to tremor. The gates started to shake. In case you're wondering, you thought you swallowed a mere man. That's why you're sick down there. You thought you swallowed a sinner. Ah, that's the problem, devil. You thought you swallowed a mere creation. No, God just came to swallow you. Mm. You thought you'd contain him. And now you're about to vomit him up. Because it is not possible that the grave hold him. 
I don't know why he stayed for three days. I do know he took captivity captive. Those who are captive down there by the grave in the underworld, he said, I, I'm going to be your captor now. The bonds will not be gates. The bonds will be blood and love. And since I am the God who always leads a parade, boys, Jeremiah, Zechariah, Isaiah, David, the thief on the cross, man, you got in just in time. <laughs> meet, meet Jeremiah. And get behind me in a single file line. I got an idea. You tired of it down here? You tired of being bound? You a little upset that your body has gone to dust? For from dust you've come to dust you, you shall return because you are a sinner? Remember what Isaiah said? We esteemed him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions, not his own. Let's get this thing clear. I've got a court case to work out here. Just get with me and get behind me because I'm about to start an upward motion called glorification. <laughs> That's why you don't take the best seat in a meeting. You take the worst, and when you go down, God lifts you up. It's the nature of the Godhead. And Jesus says on that third day, after they'd all been fulfilled, I've got an idea now. I'm climbing up out of here. Because I'm not mere dust. You were. I'm not. And I, can, I cannot see my body corrode because a promise has come to me through the psalmist, thou will not allow your Holy One to see corruption. I've got work to do. And Jesus, with his friends behind him, broke the ground. That tomb exploded open with holy light and holy fire. And the Bible says in Matthew's gospel that the tombs of the saints were opened along with his, you have to read it in context, and they walked around the holy city. Oh, like Narnia. You get a knock on your door from your great uncle, you will never believe what just happened down there. <laughs> Do you have any falafel? I'm hungry. <laughs> Open. And in that moment, the tomb was destroyed, it became a birthing ward. And today, Jesus, help me there, Joel. Today, Jesus says, everyone who lives in me will never die. Did you hear what I just said? Everyone who lives in me, if you get up into the one who went up and destroyed the boundaries of death with himself by pouring himself into the grave. He exploded the grave and destroyed the grave. If you get into him, he says, he who lives in me will never die. Never die. No, no, we don't die. We sleep. We're not the dying ones. We die to ourselves, but we, we sleep. We rest. And the scripture says, sorrow not as those who have no hope. For on that last day, the trump will sound. And when Jesus comes back, the Bible says, we shall meet him in the air and we shall be like him. And forever this, is, this will be with the Lord. A resurrection is coming.
I said a resurrection is coming. The psalmist writes in Psalm 116, precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. Why is it precious? Because he knows the taste of death. He fully tasted it and it is precious because death is not the end. The early church declared this hymn, listen carefully, with every eye closed, every head bowed. Christ is risen from the dead. And to those in the tombs, he has given life. Christ is risen from the dead. And to those in the tombs, he has given life. Life. By death, trampling death, Christ is risen from the dead. By death, trampling death, and to those in the tombs giving life. I'm going to say it again. Christ is risen from the dead. By death, trampling down death, and to those in the tombs giving life. When thou descended unto death, O life immortal, you slayed Hades with the lightning of thy divinity. And when you raised the dead out of the uttermost depths, all the hosts of heaven cried out, O life giver, Christ our God, glory be to thee. To get daily teaching from Michael and to follow our event schedule around the world, please follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Be sure to subscribe to the Jesus Image TV YouTube channel as well. By partnering with Jesus Image, you will help us take the saving and healing power of Jesus to the world. Your giving changes lives forever. For more information, please visit us online at JesusImage.tv or write us at Jesus Image, P.O. Box 950-640, Lake Mary, Florida, 32795. Thank you for your prayers and financial support. Jesus is the answer for every life, everywhere.